0: Good evening. Take your Bibles and turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3, please. 1 Timothy chapter 3. And tonight we're going to be looking again and reviewing again over the qualifications for the office of a deacon. And we started uh, two weeks ago, I guess. Uh, Last week we started our missions conference. Uh, But tonight we're going to be handing out ballots, deacon ballots, to voting members of the church, and tonight we're going to be nominating uh, two our, our next deacons. And before we do that, we need to be, do some teaching again uh, on, from the Word of God on what we're looking for and what the pattern of the Scripture is for us. And these are serious matters, it doesn't mean that we have to be hard or serious as far as uh, uh, stern in our, our consideration of them, but we need to look at the Word of God. And we need to uh, consider what God's Word has to say. It's not optional for us. Uh, we need to be, be obedient to what the Scriptures teach us. And as a, as a New Testament church, and as the pastor of this church, by the grace of God, we're always going to follow the Scriptures as closely as we possibly can. Uh, and all things to be done decently and in order. In the Lord's church, for unto Him should be glory in the church. Amen? And so we're going to consider this tonight. 1 Timothy 3 gives us the qualifications for the office of a pastor and a deacon, and they're laid out very clearly for us in this passage of Scripture. It's clear that the qualifications for the two are actually very similar, almost identical in fact, where character is concerned, the qualifications are identical. And so it is a serious matter. This, the office of a deacon is, is a New Testament church office. It's necessary in the church. Now, uh, not every church has to have deacons. If the ministries of the church don't uh, allow for that or don't need that, then as a church grows and as the ministries grow and as the need arises, uh, uh, certainly there should be Uh, that office filled. The Lord gave it to us for His church, and and it's it's necessary for the function of a church, uh, and the Lord gave it to us for a reason. Now, the Word of God tells us that a pastor is to be an example in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. You can read that in 1 Timothy 4 and verse 12. But our text in 1 Timothy chapter 3 is going to begin in verse 8, and it starts with the word likewise. You notice that, 1 Timothy 3 and verse 8. Likewise must the deacon. And if we see that, we need to go back and look and see what it's talking about. Well, it's giving us the qualification for a pastor. In verse 1, this is a true saying, if a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. And then the Apostle Paul lists out the qualifications to for a pastor in a New Testament church. He gets to verse eight and he says, likewise. In other words, in the same way that a pastor has these qualifications, a deacon also has certain qualifications. And so let's go ahead and read these verses. Likewise must the deacons be grave, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy of filthy lucre, holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience, And let these also first be proved, then let them use the office of a deacon, being found blameless. Even so must their wives be grave, not slanderers, sober, faithful in all things. Let the deacons be the husband of one wife, ruling their children and their own houses well. For they that have used the office of a deacon well, purchase to themselves a good degree and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus." We began last time looking at how a church's deacons must be men of the highest spiritual caliber. And we looked in Acts chapter 6, where uh, we see the pattern laid out for us, what we believe is the office of a deacon, where in the church that was in Jerusalem, there, there arose a murmuring among the Grecians, the widows weren't being treated as fairly as the others. And so there was this problem that presented itself, and the apostles got together, and they said, it's not reason for us to leave the Word of God in prayer to serve tables. So here's the solution. And the pastors led the church in a way that was balanced, in a way that was was showing good leadership, and also put the burden also on the part of the church as well. And they said to the church, you choose out men among you who are uh, full of the Holy Ghost and have a good report, and so on. And they, and they put the burden on the church to do the work of understanding and knowing and observing the kind of character and quality of the men in their congregation. And then they said, you bring them to us and we'll appoint them to their business. And the implication there is that the church had responsibility to know each other, to choose out based on the qualifications that were given to them, To put them before the pastors, and then the pastors had the veto power uh, to, to overrule if that was necessary. But the Bible tells us that the saying, please, the whole multitude after that. And the Word of God increased after that. Things were done decently and in order. And so we want to consider the Word of God. We want to be obedient to it. And so we we began looking at how a church's deacons must be men of the highest spiritual caliber, men who can be examples of Christian character in the church. We come to 1 Timothy chapter 3, and it elaborates for us even further on the qualifications that churches must look for when seeking out men to serve as deacons. And so this passage in here, we find eight things that are specifically to be looked for in examining a man's fitness to serve in this office. And I want you to pay attention tonight because again, if you're a guest here tonight, thanks for coming. We appreciate you being here. Uh, we're doing a little family business tonight, but we're looking at the Word of God first and we're, we're nominating and choosing uh, deacons to serve in this next term. And so you just bear with us, but prayerfully there'll be something as well in here for you uh, that will challenge you tonight. And so I want us to begin Breaking this passage down, we're going to consider each of these qualifications, and we won't do it in exhaustive detail, but we are going to teach on on this subject and what we ought to be looking for and what you need to be looking for as we take the next step tonight in choosing deacons. Okay, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray for guidance tonight. We pray for your Holy Spirit to lead. And Lord, that you would uh, use your word to instruct us again. Lord, that it would be profitable for us for instruction in righteousness And Lord, I do pray uh, for uh, Your will to be done in the choosing uh, of the next deacons to serve in this next term. Lord, whether it's the same ones, whether it's different ones, we want Your will to be done. So we ask that You lead through Your Spirit even tonight. And Lord, that each person would take seriously their responsibility uh, according to the Word of God. And Lord, that things would be done decently and in order in Your church or that the glory would be given to you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. First of all, look in verse 8. We're going to consider a deacon and his ways. The Bible says, Likewise must the deacons be grave. That word grave there means honorable. And it's speaking about a man's demeanor. The way a deacon is, his demeanor, his nature is important and so as we are considering men to serve in this next term the first qualification is that a man must be grave it's talking about his nature his demeanor it's an important thing it means that a man needs to be serious-minded it means that he needs to be thoughtful he needs to be earnest in his business he must be able to portray a sense of dignity about him in other words, what I'm saying is a man is not qualified to be a deacon if he's known as a goof-off. If he, he can't be serious about anything, he's not taken seriously by other people, uh, he's, he's not really qualified to serve in this office. It doesn't mean that a man can't have a sense of humor about him. In fact, to the contrary, a deacon should be a person who is able to get along well with other people. Uh, By virtue of their office and their work, a man must be able to interact well with other people. He should be a joyful person. He's a servant of the church. It means that a man must know when to be serious. It doesn't mean he can't have a sense of humor, but he does need to know when it's time to be serious about his work. He can't be a man who's inclined to foolishness in his life. Or give the impression that he's a buffoon, if you want to put it that way. If he lacks a sense of what's appropriate in conversation or in conduct, he shouldn't be considered as a candidate for this place of service. And it's important that the church body and the church membership observe and understand and know each other. You know, all of us have a reputation. We do. You are known for something. People know you. And our reputation is really a good reflection of who we are and what we are. Now, we can't maybe know all that's inside of a person's heart. You may not know fully a person's character, um, but you do have a reputation and a name that you have made for yourself. A deacon must be grave. He ought to be a man who is not given to foolishness. He ought to be a man who knows what's appropriate in terms of conversation. He should be a man who can be counted on to take his position seriously. He ought to be somebody who is known for walking circumspectly, not as a fool, amen, but as somebody who is wise. And honestly, that is a requirement for the office of a deacon, but that is something that should be an admonition for all of us as God's people. Look at, look at Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2 In verse 1, Paul is giving instruction to preacher Titus, and he's telling him how he ought to conduct himself and what he ought to teach in the house of God so that people would know how they ought to behave themselves in the house of God. And he says in verse 1, But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine, that the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, Sound in faith, in charity, in patience. And he goes on to talk about the aged women, how they ought to be, and how the young men, he exhorts them to be sober-minded in verse 6. And how in, in verse 7, that the young men in all things, showing themselves or thyself a pattern of good works, in doctrine showing uncorruptness gravity sincerity sound speech that cannot be condemned that he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed having no evil thing to say of you and so he 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 walks down through the list and he talks about the aged men and he talks about the aged women and he talks about the young men and two times in there he mentions that you know what People need to have some gravity to them, a sense of honor to them, a sense of dignity to them. In, 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 and the point is, is that this is not just a qualification for the office of a deacon, as, as in it only applies to them. This is, ought, this is something that we all ought to be admonished about. And you know why? Because we represent Jesus Christ. We want to be an accurate reflection of who He is. We ought not to be silly, and we ought not to be a given to foolishness. We ought to be growing in our faith, and we ought to be growing more and more into the image of Jesus Christ. That's not who he was. Amen? And so we find, first of all, that he's got to be one who is grave and honorable. Go back to our text in 1 Timothy 3, and we're going to consider a deacon in his words. The next thing that you note here in verse 8 is that he is, should not be double-tongued. The deacons must be grave, not double-tongued. It means, basically what that means is one who tells a different story. That's the definition of it. In other words... What it's talking about is 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 a deacon must be a man who 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 is consistent in his speech. In other words, he's not one who's gonna say one thing to one person, but then turn around and say something different to somebody else, according as it as his interests lead or how it makes him look in the eyes of other people. You know people like that? To your face, they're going to say one thing. They're going to come across this way. But when they're talking to somebody else, if it makes them look a little bit better, they're going to change the story just a little bit. Or maybe a lot. Because it casts them in a better light because they know that this person is probably going to be in agreement with me on this. And we can be like, ha, 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 you know. We're, for example, maybe the pastor wants to do something. Wants to go a certain way in ministry or in a particular program in the church. And he'll say one thing to the pastor and he'll seem to be in agreement about it and so on. But then he'll go and tell others his dislike for it for some whatever personal reason. It's not doctrinal, certainly. You can't prove that in the scripture. I just don't care for it. And I don't think we should do that because that's not the way we've always done it. And then they'll go and tell somebody else a different thing. That's wicked. That's ungodly. It ought not so to be. It's a double tongue. But none of us should be that way. Not just for the office of a deacon. None of us should be that way. There's a way to handle disagreement, certainly. There's a way to talk things through. But what we should not be is guilty of being double-tongued. Maybe it's something different. But maybe a man has made himself a reputation, and you've had experience with that in your life in some other area with a particular person. If he has that sort of reputation to him, he should not be qualified. He should not be considered a candidate for the office of a deacon. Those are not my words, friend. Those are the Lord's. Those are not words of men. They're the words of God. And we ought to take it seriously. In Ephesians chapter 4, if you just turn over there, Ephesians chapter 4, in verse 29, the Bible says, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. I wonder how often we need to revisit that verse in, our, uh, in considering our own life and our own tongue. How we speak, how we use our tongue. Is what I say good for the use of edifying? Or do I typically tear people down or things down? What are you known for? That's an important thing to consider. Amen? Proverbs 25 and verse 11 says, A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and pictures of silver. Words that are used to bless and to edify is something that's for all of us, but especially one who would serve as a deacon. He must have already proven that he has control over his tongue. I would say to you that there's probably some pastors who are not qualified to pastor because of this very thing. But we don't consider that. We'll look at all of the major things. We don't consider that to be something major. But it is. It really is. The way that we speak, the way that we use our tongue. And Lord, help us to be consistent. Amen. Amen. I'll say amen to myself. Or maybe that's just getting a little too... I don't like to hear that kind of stuff. Because the spotlight is shining on me. I'm not... That's the Word of God, friend. Deacons also ought to be men whose words can be respected. They may not be polished speakers. They may be somewhat shy when it comes to speaking in public. But when they do speak, people ought to be able to take what they say seriously. And so, as we consider men for the office of a deacon, if, if someone is, like, you know them and you just you can't really take whatever they say seriously, um, maybe they're not qualified, maybe they shouldn't be written down. But you know what? There are men. There are men who may be shy men, but when they speak, people listen. In fact, you remember Stephen was chosen in Acts chapter 6, and the Bible says that Stephen was a man who, the Bible says in Acts 6 and verse 10, and they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spake. He was a man who had wisdom to him, who had a spirit to him, and so... It's a qualification, a deacon in his words. He's not to be double-tongued. He's not one who tells a different story. Go back to our text in verse 8. Likewise must the deacons be grave, not double-tongued, not given to much wine. Here's the bottom line with this one. And especially uh, in the service of the office of a deacon in Plack Road Baptist Church, A deacon should be a man who's a total abstainer. Plain and simple. Based on what the scriptures reveal about God's attitude toward wine and strong drink, I believe a deacon should be a total abstainer from alcohol as a beverage. Proverbs chapter 20 and verse one says, "'Wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging, "'and whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise.'" Shouldn't be in the office. Proverbs 23 and verse 29 says, Who hath woe, who hath sorrow, who hath contentions, who hath babblings, who hath wounds without cause, who hath redness of eyes? They that tarry long at the wine, they that go to seek mixed wine. Look not thou upon the wine when it is red, when it giveth his color in the cup, when it moveth itself aright. At the last it biteth like a serpent, and stingeth like an adder." Proverbs 31, verse 4 says, It is not for kings, O Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine, nor for princes to drink strong drink, lest they drink and forget the law and pervert the judgment of any of the afflicted. You know what? The Word of God has nothing good to say about alcohol as a beverage. Not one thing. In fact, it condemns it. It has nothing good to say about it. And I believe a deacon should have strong convictions against alcohol as a beverage. A man who sees nothing wrong with an occasional beer or is a social drinker should never be considered as a candidate for the office of a deacon. Now, I don't know anybody like that in our church. But this is a qualification given to us in the Word of God. I think it represents or means that a man like that has a lack of common sense and a lack of wisdom to him. It's a requirement from Acts chapter 6 to have wisdom and have discernment. It means that maybe they don't understand the scriptures or have a sensitivity toward their testimony even in the community. And so we look at that qualification as something serious. Notice as well in verse 9, not only not given to much wine, but the last part of verse, verse 8 says, not greedy of filthy lucre. And here's a deacon and his wealth, or a deacon and his money. In other words, what this tells us is that a man who is qualified for the office of a deacon is a man who understands that the spiritual concerns come before the business concerns. A man who will not put his money-making opportunities ahead of his responsibilities to the church. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul says here, in and just turn a page over to chapter 6 and verse 9, he says, but they that will be rich, fall." to temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But thou, O man of God, flee these things, and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. And so Paul even says to... To Timothy, he says uh, the spiritual things are far more important than the temporal or the money things. And he says the love of money is the root of all evil. What you ought to do is flee those things and follow after the spiritual, that which is right and true and full of faith. There's nothing wrong with a deacon having money, even a great amount of it. But there is something wrong, as is the case with everyone. When money has him. He's covetous. Anyone being considered for this office must be above reproach where money is concerned and the reason for that is because the work of deacons often involves access to and handling of church funds and nobody should be put in this office to give the impression that he could be tempted to sin in this area. Most of the time, most of the time, I have no idea what's actually going on with the money in our church. I go and ask our treasurer where our accounts are at. I, I am on the, on, on the account to be able to sign checks and write checks, but rarely, rarely does that ever happen. And I do that on purpose. I don't want to be accused. I'm not going to, by God's grace, ever do something Uh, that I shouldn't do in regards to money, but I just don't even want to be accused of it. I keep my hands off of it. But when we're talking about the office of a deacon, sometimes his job requires that he handles church funds, and he needs to be above reproach. Here's another side of this that maybe people don't consider. A deacon needs to be a faithful giver. A church should make sure that their deacons are men who are faithful in financially supporting the Lord's work. Amen. They absolutely ought to. Because if you, as, a, as, a, as an individual, don't take personally uh, the, not just the command of God for the tithes, but over and above the tithes, even giving to missions, listen, if you're not even tithing, you're disobeying God, you're automatically disqualified right there. If you're not tithing, you need to get your heart right with the Lord. I'm just going to say that. I don't mean it to be mean, but you're in disobedience. But then above that and beyond that is the giving to missions and and supporting financially the work of the Lord through this church. If a man is not a faithful giver in the tithes and the offerings especially, he's not qualified. Malachi chapter 3 and verse 8 tells us to bring the tithes into the storehouse that's the lord's church proverbs chapter 3 and verse 9 says honor the lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thine increase it's part of honoring the lord and any man who is not a good steward with the money that god has blessed him with is either ignorant and needs to be taught or he's greedy of filthy lucre Either way, not qualified. Amen? That's something all of us should strive for. Amen? Isn't that great? I think the Lord is amazing, and He's given us His Word. All Scripture is profitable for instruction in righteousness. Amen? A deacon also needs to be well-grounded. Look at verse 9. Verse 9 says, "...holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience." It means that he must be one who, well, let me get to that in just a second. Author Kenneth Woost commented on this verse, and he wrote this. He said, Holding the mystery of faith in a pure conscience is a significant association of faith and ethics. In other words, the demand here is that a man's behavior be consistent with what he professes to believe. In other words, what that means is that a deacon needs to have a consistent life. Part of the qualifications here is that he live this consistent life, that what he professes, what he says with his mouth, what he says he believes, also translates into how he lives. It needs to be shown to be lived out in his manner of life. You know what? Those in the home would know best whether or not he has a consistent life. He also needs to be doctrinally sound, Deacons must be men who love the Word of God. Deacons must be men who who make it their criteria and their standard for how they view things. I view it through the lens of the Word of God. Looking through biblical glasses rather than my own reasoning and my own understanding. Look at Psalm 119 with me. Hold your place here and just go to Psalm 119. Let me read a few verses here. From Psalm 119, which we would say is the Word of God, Psalm. Psalm 119, 101. The Bible says, I have refrained my feet from every evil way, that I might keep thy word. I have not departed from thy judgments, for thou hast taught me. How sweet are thy words unto my taste, yea, sweeter than honey to my mouth, "...through thy precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I have sworn and I will perform it, that I will keep thy righteous judgments." I am afflicted very much. Quicken me, O Lord, according unto thy word. Accept, I beseech thee, the free will offering of my mouth, O Lord, and teach me thy judgments. My soul is continually in my hand, yet do I not forget thy law. The wicked have laid a snare for me, yet I have erred not from thy precepts. Thy testimonies have I... T- have I taken as an heritage forever, for they are the rejoicing of my heart. I have inclined my heart to perform thy statutes always, even unto the end. You see the psalmist saying that the word of God is the primary direction for his life. What I'm saying is a deacon needs to know what he believes and why he believes it, because it comes from the Word of God. He should be grounded in biblical doctrine, especially pertaining to salvation and the doctrine of the church. They need to be men who've shown that they can be counted on, not to be tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. Amen? It means they need to be established and stable in their faith. You know what? Somebody comes along spouting their philosophies that sound really intriguing, etc., but they're contrary to the Scriptures... That's not going to entice him. Why? Because the Word of God is his foundation. Good. Let me just give you a word of caution from your pastor. It's okay to read books from Christian authors. In fact, I encourage it. It's okay to even listen to messages on podcasts or different websites, for example, of other churches. Listening to messages from other preachers, it's okay to do those things. But to have a mindset that, man, I I really like this author. Every word he writes is so inspiring. I just love listening to this pastor over here preach on the radio or on, on their podcast. I just love everything about him. It's just so inspiring. Listen, having a mindset like that is actually cultivating and developing a potentially damaging mindset and behavior. Here's the reason why the Lord placed you in this body. You're a member of Plack Road Baptist Church. This is a body. We all have a role to play. We all have responsibilities. The Lord has also placed a pastor over this church. And 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 18 says that God has placed the members in the body as it hath pleased him if he's pleased to have you here and he set the pastor over the church that he's been that has been given then it pleases God that this is what you're taught from the word of God amen as long as it comes from this book and it's cut straight that's what God wants you to hear and God wants you to know the mindset that i talked about earlier can easily lead to being carried about with every wind of doctrine our guest preacher that was just here brother Pittman he was telling me a story about a a young man in his church who said he was called to preach and so he wanted to start the training and so he started training him and he's and he was young he certainly was a novice and as the training went on it became more and more clear that, that this guy uh, was, maybe he even started telling this story in church. Maybe he did. But he kept coming to him with, with all of these ideas and all of these thoughts. And he's like, you know, I, I, I think I believe this. And, and after some time, the preacher's like, where in the world are you getting all of this? And he said, oh, well, I've been listening to so-and-so, and, and I was looking online at this and reading this, and, and he, he, he's just being tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. The point is, is that a deacon needs to be a doctrinally sound man. He's able to focus his attention on the Word of God In his own church, not some ministry halfway across the country. A deacon needs to be a man who is sound in faith. I know what I believe and why I believe it right from here. Amen. Amen. He needs to have some maturity about him. Look at verse 10. By the way, if you don't like what I'm saying tonight, I'm not sorry. (laughs) Maybe you don't like the way I'm saying it. I'm still not sorry. Look at verse 10. And let these also first be proved, then let them use the office of a deacon being found blameless. The instruction for us here is that a deacon must be proven to be a worthy workman. And again, those being considered must have a good track record to them. Before being set aside as a deacon, a man should already have consistently demonstrated these qualities that are demanded of him in the Bible. In other words, stepping into the office of a deacon should be an easy transition for a man because he's already been doing it. You know what that tells us as well? It tells us that that's for all of us. Amen? You might be a man in the church. You you might desire that's fine but dismiss you from being somebody who is known for being a worthy workman a faithful man of God who loves the Lord who loves his family who loves his church who loves his pastor and we're serving God together that's what you need to be as you consider men For this office, they need to be men who've already demonstrated these qualities in their service to the church, whether they're a deacon or not. Because ultimately, it's their service to the Lord. Amen? And they need to have been proven fit for this office. And then once in that office, a man should use the office of a deacon well, the Bible says. He should enter into it with Determination that I am going to serve with dignity. I'm going to serve with diligence in all that the position demands of me because I want to please the Lord. Now, let me make another further clarification here. And that's this. Just because a man is a deacon and serves the church and the pastor through that position, it doesn't mean that only deacons do all the work that needs to be done. We should all share in the burden of responsibility, amen? But we all have a role to play, too. That's just a side note. The qualifications continue. Look at verse 11. Even so must their wives be grave, not slanderers sober, Faithful in all things, let the deacons be the husband of one wife, ruling their children and their own houses well. I want to consider for just the rest of our time here, the deacon and his wife and his children. A man's wife is no small part of the equation when it comes to a church's selection of deacons. So as you are considering men in the church, you also need to be considering their wives. There, I, I don't know how true this is, but it seems like it would be true in churches that there would be many men who might meet all the qualifications for a deacon, except for the, the fact that they have a wife who doesn't meet the qualifications for a deacon's wife. And to that, I would say those men should be prohibited from serving, they should not be a candidate. That's a sad situation, but it might be commonplace. So note the four qualifications that are listed in this verse for a deacon's wife. So he says, here's the qualifications for a deacon, and then he says, even so. And so this is also included in the equation. Their wives must be grave. It's the same word that we looked at before. It means serious-minded. It means that she must be serious-minded herself and taken seriously by others as well. It's required that she, like her husband, be grave. To be grave means to be held in high regard for their character. She's a woman who can be bright and cheerful, but does not come across as giddy or silly. Seriousness, not silliness, should be a characteristic of every deacon's wife. Then it says not a slanderer, this is interesting, and maybe you'll find it interesting too. The word slanderer here comes from the Greek word diabolos. Two other times in the New Testament, this word is translated as false accuser. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, in verse 3, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, same exact word. The other is in Titus chapter 2 and verse 3, the aged women likewise that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things. It's the same exact word here as slanderer in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Now, there's 35 other times in the New Testament that that word is translated but it's translated as the word devil all 35 times in the New Testament. I think that's very interesting. And maybe we can see a little more clearly how God feels about a woman who's a false accuser, who's a slanderer, who's a gossip, and who's a liar. Did you know, and ladies, I'm not trying to be mean here, So please don't take it that way. But a mouthy, opinionated woman who shoots from the lip, who disparages other people, who tears them down, often to make herself look better, who spreads gossip, automatically disqualifies her husband from serving in the office of a deacon. What are you known for? Amen? What are you known for? The wife's character must be considered when considering a man for the office of a deacon. But that's something all of us should strive for. Amen? We should not be slanderers. False accusers. Notice as well that she needs to be sober. The word sober here means circumspect. It means that she in all things is temperate. She's moderate. She's well-balanced in her life. In other words, a deacon's wife should be known for her stability and her character. She needs to be balanced in life, not always prone to extremes. I think it's important for us to observe one another and to consider one another. Amen? And as Hebrews 10 teaches us, to... Consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. We ought to have that positive influence and positive impact on one another because we're in each other's lives. Also, she needs to be faithful in all things, faithful in doctrine, dedicated to the church programs. It implies that she's going to be supportive of her husband's work as a deacon as well, She's going to share in it with him as much as possible. A deacon's wife needs to be a godly woman who people can respect. It's not too much for church to ask that. That a wife needs to be an example of Christian womanhood and deportment. Acts chapter 9 and verse 36 says Now there was at Joppa a certain disciple named Tabitha, which by interpretation is called Dorcas. This woman was full of good works and alms deed, which she did. And the Bible tells us that she died, and the people lamented her death, and the people tried to, 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 to honor her. And the point that I'm making here is that she had a reputation among the people, that she was a lady who was full of good works, and everybody knew it. Ladies, ladies, You should have it in your heart, and you should strive to be known in the church just like this dear lady Dorcas was. Amen. Amen. Proverbs 31 and verse 10, Who can find a virtuous woman (laughs) for her price is far above rubies? It's rare, in other words. Now there might be some men who would be the salt of the earth type men who would make wonderful deacons. Maybe they're qualified in every other way except for where their wife is concerned. And the admonition here is, ladies, you should examine your own lives. You should have it in your heart that you're willing and wanting to change anything about you that would disqualify your husband from being able to serve as a deacon. That should be in your heart. Then he gets to verse 12 and he says, Let the deacons be the husband of one wife, ruling their children and their own houses well. A deacon needs to be the husband of one wife. Now, there may be some of you who don't understand this or have not thought of it this way, but it's not saying that a man needs to be the deacon or the deacon needs to be the husband of one wife at a time. That's not what it's saying. One. And only one. It means that a deacon must be someone who's demonstrated success in that area of his life. And according to the word of God, a divorced man is not qualified to be a deacon. The reason for that divorce, the time it occurred, maybe it was before he was ever saved, that's irrelevant actually. Everyone's not going to always know the background involved in a man's divorce. And a man might be one of the finest Christian men in the church. But if he's been divorced, a church cannot usurp what God has said and put him in that office anyway. There's There's no question, friend. There is no question. I've known several of them. But there's no question that some of the sweetest men, some of the sweetest spirited, most spiritually minded, godly men, sacrificially giving men, who are gifted in many ways. There's no question that some of those men are useful in a church, but they're just not qualified to serve in this office. Whenever the divorce happened, and for whatever reason it happened, the fact is is that it happened, and God says, a man needs to be the husband of one wife, not just one at a time." And you know, some people say, well, that's not fair. You don't understand the situation. Listen, let, let me tell you something. This is not about punishment. It's not about any other thing other than simply following the biblical mandate in obedience to the word of God. We may not always understand the reasoning behind what God has instructed for us, but based on God's character and God's perfect way, we obey as He's laid it out. Amen? Someone might ask this question. Well, what about a man who's never been divorced himself, but he's married to a lady who's been divorced at one point in time? Well, I would say, in keeping with the principle here, I don't believe it's wise for a church to elect a deacon who's married to a lady who's been divorced. Listen, the church needs men as deacons who are the very best caliber and Christian character. That's the Word of God. Deacon qualifications, well, they also involve children because he says, let the deacon be the husband of one wife, ruling their children... their own houses well he must rule well his own house he needs to demonstrate that he's providing good leadership to his wife and to his family and that by all appearances they seem to be following it that qualification here um, for clarification I believe only applies to those men who actually have children In other words, I don't believe that that's a mandate stating that a man must have children for him to be considered as deacon material. Some people infer that, that he must have kids or he's not qualified. I don't believe that that's what that's saying. However, and here's the reason why. Let me give you because there are couples who aren't able to have children, and you might have men who are perfectly and completely qualified the wife is qualified but for some physical reason or whatever they can't have kids are they disqualified from serving as a deacon no i do not believe that that is the case however if he does have children the bible says that he needs to rule his house well and there's nothing quite like the experience of raising children to mature a man and reveal his character (laughs) Good husbands and fathers gain a lot of insight. They gain a lot of sensitivity that in most cases, they make them better equipped to serve in this office than those who don't have that experience. So here's the qualifications. Here's what the Word of God lays out for us. And having considered these qualifications for a man fit to serve, we need to take the next step in selecting deacons tonight. And I'm going to have our deacons hand out deacon ballots. Uh, Brother Job, you have them back there. Chris, would you uh, go help him? Whenever deacons come forward, they're going to walk through and hand out ballots tonight uh, to voting members of the church, and you'll find some instructions on the ballot. And the instructions are you may nominate as many men as you would like, up to two, in the spaces that are provided to serve as deacons for a two-year term, You may also nominate only one or none if that is what you choose. The pastor will then collect the ballots and determine which two men have received the most nominations from the church. And so you'll have a few minutes here tonight as the ballots are coming around. Maybe borrow a pen or a pencil from somebody if you don't have it. But take a a second and fill those out. Prayerfully, you've already considered this as we've been uh, preparing for this and you have some names in mind. Once the ballots are collected and we see the nominations from the church, upon determining which two men have received the most nominations, and upon determining that they are fully qualified, the pastor will then approach these men individually to ask if they would accept the church's nomination. If these men do accept, the pastor will then bring it before the church for an official vote. And installation of these men to serve as deacons in Black Road Baptist Church if for some reason uh, one man gets one of the the most votes or nominations but he declines uh, that uh, the, to serve as an office of a deacon he doesn't want to that is certainly fine uh, we will move to the next the very next one on the list who's received the most nominations all right and so if you've had a second to fill that out um, I'll give you a little bit more time if you don't know yet, but we're in just a minute we'll have the deacons come back with offering plates and they'll just work their way through. You can fold that as many times as you want. Just don't make it really hard for me to unfold it all. Okay?